show, Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to the Sports Blog New York Podcast. This one is an NBA Outsiders edition. Joining me, my co-host, the NBA Outsider extraordinaires. First and foremost, John Lucas Duffy. What's up, brother? What's going on, Petey? And last but not least, but actually not last, also not least, Frank Villani. What's up, dog? Here. It's been a long time. It's been a long time since uh, the three of us have been on here together, I think. I don't even remember the last one we did. Maybe a little All-NBA team episode we, we, we threw together at the beginning of quarantine, whenever the hell that started. I, I don't even remember at this point. But we also have another guest, which why Frank wasn't last but not least, and we'll bring him in right now. He's another Duffy. So we got two Duffies on this podcast. He's been a fan of the show. We've been dying to have him on here. We talked to him a lot. Uh, Andrew Duffy. John Lucas's older brother who taught him everything he knows and and then held some back for himself so he could always have the upper hand. Andrew Duffy, what's up, dog? Thanks for coming on the show. I'm back. <laughs> back <laughs> no, like he was never there. <laughs> of course. No, I always man. Andrew, I say I say on the on the pods a lot. I always say I'm the person in my family, probably besides my mom, I'm the person in my family who knows the least about basketball. And they, this is your this is your chance to show it off. I'm here. I'm here for that. Yeah, I, I gave Frank enough trash talk on the uh, the review that one day, so now it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, been my turn, bro. Twenty four years has been my turn. So we had a history of this. Actually, has changed over the course of time in this podcast. But it used to be a lot of Duff versus Frank. There used to be a lot of arguing there. But somehow you guys grew to love each other. Am I sensing an early opportunity or early chance of Duff on Duff crime on this podcast? It's a good chance. <laughs> it's a good chance. If, if history is, is taught us anything. And now a little bit about Andrew, and obviously I'll let you uh, speak for yourself, but uh, a, big, a big basketball guy from a basketball family grew up around the game, some coaching experience and, and, and whatnot, and also somebody who enjoyed like the rest of us this last dance documentary over the past uh five weeks or so which have been just great that we've had appointment television in a world without live sports the last dance delivered us a reason to turn our tv on at a specific time for most of us i know i don't do that ever basically uh with and without live sports on and the last dance every single sunday got millions and people millions of people across the world to tune in um, so Andrew, why don't you give us a quick background on your Michael Jordan slash Bulls, you know, history. Did you, you know, learn a lot of this stuff now, like, like us, like, like we did as well. How much did you know from your childhood? Uh, just a little bit of a background on you and your Bulls history. Uh, not a lot of Bulls history. I wasn't a Bulls fan growing up, uh, and didn't watch a ton on the NBA as John Lucas <clears throat> has said before, our dad didn't really didn't really get into the NBA games as much as he did his high school and, and college. So I learned uh, so a lot of the stuff I was learning for the first time. Some of the plays I'd never even seen before, um, which was really cool just to experience it now. Um, but uh, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. It I was think, a lot I, of fun. I think that's one of the coolest things about this documentary. Like everybody's watching it from a specific prism. Like obviously someone who's 25, uh, like some of us, 
could have in our lifetimes gone back and dug up every single thing you could find on YouTube or you saw other like documentaries or whatnot. You could have done your fair share of research, but there was still so much new information. I, I even liked listening to people like Bill Simmons and Ryan Russillo talk about this, who, you know, lived this way more than we did being older and covering the sport back then. Um, they learned so much. So if they still learn stuff, there's obviously so much for all of us to learn and see for the first time. Uh, so Frank and Duff, you guys felt like you came from the same place when you were going into this last dance, 10 episode extravaganza. Definitely. I would did not. I watched the YouTube stuff like you're talking about, but other than that, like maybe reading some stuff and all that, like watching classic games and, Stuff like that. Like I, I wasn't starting from zero, but obviously didn't live it in the moment. And it was kind of be one of those things where uh, if I was bored in the summer and there was no basketball, I would pull it up on YouTube and just start working my way through as many old games as I could with the shitty 240p YouTube graphics <laughs> that are just awful to watch. But I guess that's what like the, uh, an expensive TV was like in the 90s. So who am I to complain? Um, but it was... It, it was a lot of fun. Obviously, you learn a ton. And, uh, man, like, the the big – the one quick thing that I kept waiting for as I was watching the documentary is, is I kept coming back to, like, what Michael Jordan said. Like, people aren't going to – might not like me after they watch this. And I was just like, you know, when am I not supposed to like him? Like, I was kind of waiting for that to happen, and it just never came for me. I just, it was just really enjoyable. Yeah, I would say – um, I pretty much definitely come from the same prism. Michael Jordan's like literally the the stuff of legends. Like you didn't have to look up his clips to know they were shown to you, whether it be like a Gatorade commercial or whatnot. Um, but I never really took the time myself to invest and like really look back at the way he attacked defenses or the way he played defense himself. So it was like, it was a really good painting uh of a picture of who he was as a player and what he meant during his era it was it was a lot of fun to watch 100 percent. i bet for the three of us the, the closest we got to michael jordan to watching michael jordan play was space jam 100 yeah. uh, percent. that, that was that's actually one of the things i thought about when watching the documentary is like that's the michael jordan i know like the the first couple episodes it showed young michael jordan and he had like the the buzz cut fade I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, everyone wants to talk about Michael Jordan's gambling. No one wants to talk about how he saved Bugs Bunny. <laughs> you know, yeah. did Space Jam get brought up once in in the 10 episodes? Yeah, yeah. they did. They talked about yeah. the, the oh, production yes. while he was uh, right. like doing this baseball thing, and then that's how apparently like the L.A. pickup game started. Correct. And the, uh, the Jordan Dome. And also, I mean, with the with the with just the image in my head of him in a Wizards uniform is – like it's very vivid to me because I was 10 years old versus five years old. And I just remember it more specifically. I had a video game with him on the wizards, you know, like it's just completely different to try to put yourself back in that mode to learn about him in the eighties. And I feel like most of my knowledge from Michael Jordan's career came almost from like the debate show or like the debate between who's the goat. Like so much, so many of the statistics that we heard about uh, that have been, you know, reinvigorated in talk shows over the past like five, 10 years because of what LeBron's been able to do have that. That's kind of a big part of how I know 
what I know about Jordan before this documentary. You know, who's the GOAT? What did he do before Pippen? You know, what was he able to do without Phil Jackson? And, like, all these little arguments that you would have to try to say LeBron's the GOAT or Jordan's the GOAT or whoever's the GOAT. And now seeing it without that even a thought in my – not even being a thought in my mind and just seeing his career arc – and being the scoring title champ year after year and just not getting it done when it mattered most, which is something that we just never thought of because growing up our whole lives, it was, oh, he hit every clutch shot. He won all the championships uh, in the whole world, basically, once he won his first one. Oh, he quit. He came back. He still won more championships. And we saw a human side of him that we never were exposed to. I think even people who watched his career live were never exposed to. Uh, and we saw the competitive side of him that we heard about 20-some-odd years later still have that fire lit under him so strong. If I were to rank, and uh, Andrew, I'll go to you first. If I were to rank these three things to you, which one do you think uh, came out the strongest? Would it be like the human, the human of Michael Jordan, the competitive spirit of Michael Jordan, or... Like just the the lo- the guy who loved basketball, if that makes sense, because I felt like there was different pieces of him where he loved the game and he adored the game, but he loved winning more than he even loved basketball. And then you did see a human side of him, you know, with his security guard and some of the people in his life who he really cared about. So which part like shocked you the most or caught you off guard the most? Uh, the part that caught me off guard the most was probably the security guard stuff. I, I didn't have any idea about that. And the fact that he would sit in these rooms two hours before the game and tip off or just hang out with Ahmad Rashad every now and then, <laughs> uh, the guy Gus, right. And then the dude with the crazy perm and, you know, two other guys. Crazy, Joe Exotic's uncle. Yes. <laughs> it was Joe just it was wild to see that. And he just like he's sitting there before massive games, and those are the people he's surrounding himself with, like getting in a mental mind space to go out there and just compete against Hall of Famers to try and win titles. And he's just sitting there playing quarters, like it was just that was bizarre. Yeah, and handing out tickets to his teammates who couldn't get any. Wait, what's the guy's name? Uh, is it Burrell? Scott Burrell? Burrell? Scott Burrell. Scott Burrell. Burrell, yeah. Like, I was at the end of, or middle end of episode 10, I guess right before, like, the last act, maybe. He was just like, I hope I never see you again after this. Like, if my career's done, I see you, I'm going to whoop your ass. I'm done with you. I was like, I was dying. Like, that guy found a way to kind of, like, you know, Michael probably, like, adored him in a way, but also was just like, come on, dude. Like, leave me alone. I have a, a real quick story that I didn't even connect the dots until this morning. I was on Twitter and our old SI, SID from Wagner, who's now in Manhattan, was tweeting about Scott Burrell. And this play happened, I think it was in my second year, so it was a year we were really good. One of our players, our best player, like hit the shot right in front of Quinnipiac's bench. And he, and he fell, and as he got up, he hit this water cup out of one of the assistant coaches' hand. And the assistant coach lost his shirt he went insane he started mm-hmm. ranting and raving trying to get a technical but couldn't really see it you know just, i don't even think there was video review at the time right it was this whole big thing and i can't remember if we won or lost i think we did win but um come to find out today i didn't even remember this it was scott burrell no scott way. burrell was the assistant coach 
And he was the guy, like, I'm telling you, man, he had to be held back. That's how crazy he went because the player just hit the cup right out of his hand on the bench. Water went all over him in his suit. And it's hilarious to think of that. And then also you're watching these episodes and right. Scott Burrell was like getting dogged by Jordan and he just took it with a smile on his face, like just yep. kept going and going. And here like and he's a player seemed like the nicest guy. <laughs> he seemed like the nicest guy in the world in the doc too. The nicest guy in the world. But you know what? He was probably that was probably just the, the straw that broke the camel's back. He's like, I had to win three motherfucking champions championships while trying not to kill myself with Michael Jordan just shitting on me day after day. And this asshole from Wagner just knocked my cup over, spilled water all over me. This is it. I'm done. The poor guy. That's great. I mean, that's like the that was. It's weird because I almost feel like. The things you were talking about before, Andrew, with him being with the security guards in that little room before games, we saw that more than him in the locker room with his teammates. And I think Steve Kerr said it once. He was like, you know, Michael was hard to reach. Like He was hard to get to because he lived in a different universe than every other NBA player on the planet, right? Like, he was his own entity, superstar, icon, whatever you want to call him that he had to have his own room. Like, he basically had his own locker room where he chilled with these security guards, and uh, they became, like, the closest people in his life, which is crazy because he couldn't even sit in his own locker room with his teammates probably as often as he would have wanted to because there was a million more distractions, which is something that I think, for me at least, and Duff, uh, I would love to hear what you think about this. Like, in my head, I'm like, oh, you know, like, LeBron has all these crazy distractions with social media and, you know, the camera's always on him. And if LeBron takes one wrong step, like he's crucified. And if he says the wrong thing in a tweet, he's crucified. And I'm like, Jordan didn't have to deal with half of that. And then seeing this, I was like, oh, he had to deal with all of that. It was just a different vehicle of annoy annoyance from society, right? So what, what did you think about the star Michael Jordan, the icon Michael Jordan, and how he a, handled it and what he had to go through with all that crap. Uh, I mean, I think he handled it. I mean, just as about, about as well as he could have. The only knock on him was the gambling, but like a, it wasn't illegal. B it didn't seem to have any significant consequences. Certainly not on the court. Like he was <laughs> still just winning championships while just losing thousands of dollars gambling. But like, that's his own prerogative, I guess. Like just kind of do whatever you want there. Um, but in terms of comparing the kind of fishbowl that he was in to LeBron's fishbowl. I would say LeBron has more eyes on him, like through, you know, Twitter and Instagram and whatever social media, international streaming, like the, the game is so much more global now. I think all that stuff is a lot harder because you could be on camera at all times. But the thing that I would say is was a little tougher for Jordan is uh, everything was like, in his face. It wasn't people talking about him on Twitter. It was like people talking to in his face, like reporters, media, like whoever on the event level of the arenas, like were right in his face. Anytime he went anywhere, did anything like people were right up. Like th think about now, like if you saw LeBron in the airport, you might not go up and bother him, but you would snap a picture real quick. And I think that's better than like someone, if someone was like actually harassing you to your face, and you could see, I think it was in the ninth episode, like where they're talking about hanging out with their security guards and stuff. Like that's nice that he was so close to those guys and he really cared about them. But he was, those were like his closest friends was the people who he was paying to protect him and be around him 24 seven. Cause he couldn't be around other people. Like, I think they only had 
one of his friends on on uh, the dock, and it was that guy George, uh, whose last name is escaping me. It was also like his personal assistant. Right. So again, George just like another person who was like in who was in Jordan's employ. Like that to me is like he he was so restrained to like how he needed to operate. Like now, I think athletes have kind of figured it out. Like if LeBron wants to go to freaking Paris to hang out for a week, like he'll, he'll get a private jet and he'll have the right security and he could bring his whole family and no one will really bother him. Like stuff like that. He'll, he'll be okay. But it's, it seemed like maybe as part of his personality, Jordan just seems so much more isolated. And not to say one's harder than the other. It's just different. Yeah. Um, sign of the times. I mean, uh, this, I'll take this part to jump in because that was actually going to be my answer to your question. Like what surprised me the most would definitely be his, his level of fame, like kind of speaking to Duff's point about how there's not as many eyes on or, you know, not as many available eyes at the same time back then as there are now because of mobile devices and whatnot. But like, man, he always had a camera in his face. He couldn't leave his, his hotel room without, you know, a bunch of people asking him, what's the next step? What's this? What's that? Um, I was really taken aback by it, honestly. And I guess it kind of gave me perspective, but like, man, I would have hated to be that famous. Like imagine just everybody you ever seen wants to come up to you and talk to you. That's gotta be Dude, exhausting. Even other players, exhausting. right? Like, yeah. like other players would I was there a Steve Nash quote? And his teammate Scott Burrell had his had his like friends come in the locker room to get a picture and autograph. So like even his teammates. I mean, think about yeah, it though. I mean, I would I would argue that like in a way, Jordan's fame is harder because like LeBron LeBron can ease some of it by being public in his private space. Right. But like Jordan never got that opportunity. So every single time he was in public, it was like, we need to know. Yeah, it's true. Like if Jordan could have been on like Instagram live for five minutes, like nodding to whatever unreleased (laughs) music he was talking about, like LeBron gets that too. So if he was just like, yeah, chilling in the weight room and like in this car talking about how like awesome the music was like, we'd be like, wow, Michael Jordan, so personable. And there's no one even near him. Oh my gosh. Michael Jordan also listens to the Wu-Tang Clan. Like, wow, we're so similar. (laughs) Wow. No, that, was, that was specifically <laughs> mentioned in the documentary that he didn't like the Wu Tang Clan. Wait, wait, really? Did I? It was when? Yeah, he refused to he refused to meet them. Shut up! I swear Shut to God, up. he refused to meet them because he I don't remember their that. Music was a direct quote. Well, I mean, I I don't have a timestamp in an episode for you, but I definitely remember. <laughs> oh my god! Find it, come back. I'm gonna episode have to, eleven. Yeah, we'll come back to that. <laughs> wait, Frank. Hey, yeah, Frank, episode, you yeah. did. You said something really profound there, Frank. I will say that you you like the whole being public in his private time. That's actually really profound of you to say. So props to you. But the funny thing about that is that Michael's private time, if it were made public, he may have gotten some pushback to say the least. Like, Oh, you just shot 18 holes and you have a game tonight, dude. Like (laughs) maybe you should uh, get out of the sun a little bit or like, Oh, (laughs) you're in the casino still. Like, Maybe you shouldn't be posting that on your story, MJ. And like, there'd be a Stephen A. Smith versus Skip Bayless uh, argument. Do you think MJ's playing too much poker? Now I don't know whose impression that was. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter. But like, that would be what MJ would have to deal with. Like, debate shows. Like, can you believe that Michael Jordan posted an Instagram story of him playing blackjack at midnight last night? 
that would be in the news. Like that's he split insane. tens. He split tens with the dealer showing too. <laughs> Jesus. That's that's crazy. I don't know what I'm though. talking about. I don't know anything about blockchain. That sounded good, I, honestly. Yeah. I yeah. think one of the one difference though, you guys are all talking about this stuff is uh <clears throat> the one thing about the athletes today, the LeBrons and whoever, they kind of welcome the attention. Like to a certain degree, I should say. Like they they need that. That's their brand. Everything's about a, a brand now. Like Jordan's brand was Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, he needs to have a brand to have the jump man, the shoes, and sell the product. But like it was all he didn't there was like a certain level of him that it felt like he didn't want some of that. Like he wasn't necessarily needing it. Kind of like some of the superstars today. Dwight Howard, for instance, like without that, like who is he? You know what I mean? Like who is he That's really? Superman with? cape on All Star Weekend, right? Exactly. Like those guys now, they need that. Without that, I don't know if they'd have that same fire uh, mentally. I don't know if they'd be as tough as some of the guys back in the day when uh, they had to work to to really get that brand on the court and not just go on Twitter live, like you were saying, that- and just. Such yeah. a good point yes. too. Like MJ wouldn't be doing TikToks with his kids. You know what I mean? Like, and he even said it in the whole thing about when he chose Nike and he ended up having Jordan, Jordan brand and all that stuff. They went through it. And one of his main things was I sell sneakers on the court by being the best basketball player. Yeah. And like, even he was pretty adamant about that too. Facts. And like this, even the Spike Lee commercial that's so famous. It's like, is it the, is it the hair? Is it the, this, it's gotta be the shoes. It's gotta be the shoes. And yeah, even in that moment where it's it's got to be the shoes, he doesn't even say, "Yeah, it's the shoes." He's just like, "Nope," because it's it's him. Guys, I think we all saw the documentary. Like Mike, it was the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> it was the shoes. Oh man, I we remember watching that with you. Jesus, I used to watch the hell out of that movie. Calvin Cambridge. Me too. Yeah, Calvin Duff. You were, was, if you got those hops, Duff, you would have got it. You would have been there, Duff. Oh, would have been right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny no I kept looking for those shoes man that is so funny though like i i didn't even think about it like that i don't know how we got to this point but thinking about the difference of what a brand was for someone back then and what it is for someone now it's it's night and day like like you said you need these brands today to get endorsements to get money because like you don't know when your career is going to end and if you could lock in a shoe deal look at derrick rose like Grant, his career could be over right now. Granted, he's done a great job to get back to be a very respectable NBA player again. But like that shoe deal was locked in because his well, his brand was kind of bowling. He's a pretty quiet guy. Maybe a bad example. But besides the point, like back then, Michael Jordan was like, "Yeah, I'll do McDonald's commercials. I'll do this. I'll do that." I'm yeah, but keep he had his own happy. shoe. Yeah, and it. But all that matters had his own shoe. If it wasn't for Michael Jordan, he would have had his own shoe. Like. That's why it's so important. Was there that's signature? That's where they find this extra money. Was there were signature shoes before then, right? The Clydes. Yeah, they, he was. That was a. That Ralph, wasn't an athletic shoe though. The Ralph Sampson's. Yeah, it was, bro. The Converse basketball shoes, Larry. Yeah, but Magic that wasn't Johnson. signature. Those weren't signature. I'm talking like Puma yeah, had those the Clydes. Those are just different colors. And the Sampson's colors. I don't think Jordan was the, the first Clydes? signature. Yeah, he wasn't he the wasn't. first signature. No way. Nah. But he made it a he thing. Was the biggest. Right. right. I don't, he wasn't. He, he's obviously been the most successful ever. Uh, yeah. Undoubtedly. But that's why they cling to it is because he made so much more money after basketball than while he was in basketball. Like it, Scottie Pippen made more money from basketball contracts than Michael Jordan did. I was going to say that's that. what they're all chasing. 
is that like you can't even compare Michael Jordan and the brand he's built to like another basketball player. It's more towards like Tiger Woods, like because like that persona you're talking about, he built it through basketball. Tiger Woods, like not a super personable guy, like not. I'm talking like before all the scandal and stuff, like right. when he was on the come up, like he wasn't he wasn't he out was, there being like super personable. Like a, he was he just had, a free like, a competitor too. Like, I don't know. I, yeah, I he just won. Saw. Like he just had that that same thing with Mike, like that MJ had, where it was just like you went up against him, you went up against Tiger on the Sunday, and he was wearing red, and you had a couple strokes on him in the standings, but you knew he was coming. You just knew he was coming. Or if he was ahead of you, you knew he was going to put you away. You knew you weren't going to catch him. It was the same thing with Michael. Like basketball came first. Basketball builds everything else. If it's not for basketball, he doesn't have everything else. And I think there there are guys in the NBA now who still appreciate that. Like you hear Kevin Durant talk about it when he's doing podcasts and the boardroom stuff. Like he's, I, I know I have to, you know, me and Rich, his business partner, Rich Kleiman, they have like an understanding. He says, me and Rich have an understanding. Like, he's got to really take the lead on all this business stuff. I try to be as evolved as possible and because I want to be involved and it's really interesting, but basketball always comes first because if it wasn't for basketball, none of this other stuff would exist. It's, it's a great point. And I bet you there's some young people, some young cats in this league who feel this level of fame. And I call them young cats. Like I'm like some old guy, but like there's probably some young people in this league who feel like they are a fashion enough fashioned enough person i don't know you know what i'm trying to say though like somebody who thinks their style is good enough. yeah their style off the court is good enough to net them some guys today think they could net their own careers off the court but and a guy who jumps to mind it's probably rude to do this but kyle kuzma jumps to mind he's all over the place he's all over instagram he's on tiktok he uh is kind of unique with what his choices are as far as sponsorships uh he's with puma now but he was for a while he was doing like uh, an off-brand sneaker app where he was like with all the sneaker brands, but he was with the app. It was like a weird thing. But like, what is Kyle Kuzma without being a good NBA player? And if he can't hang in the NBA, you know, his interesting new haircut is not going to be very cool. You know, so like, it's definitely interesting seeing it in, in that prism with what Michael was able to do as far as brand without even trying in some ways versus guys today who are trying in every way possible. And, uh, you know, obviously not reaching up to what he was able to do. But let's that, get... was, that was the same player I was thinking of, actually, was Kyle Kuzma. When you started down that road, just like someone who is not aware of, like, how they're trying to build who they are off the court versus what they are on the court. Yeah, and, like, D'Angelo Russell seems to be in that same ilk, except for the fact that he did make an all-star team already. So he has that, like, in his back pocket. Like, oh, yeah, you think yeah. I'm doing too much off the court? All-star, mother trucker. Dude, the ball family. The ball family. LeVar Ball? No, no, no. LeVar Ball. Don't bring my yeah. boy Lonzo into this, okay? Dude, but that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to, like, fast-track it. LeVar, LeVar was. Kardashian family in the yeah, NBA. LeVar was. Not Lonzo. But, like, LaMelo's kind of trying to do it, though. Though Lonzo would not make it in hip-hop. Dude, LaMelo is, LaMelo is, is going to be the NBA equivalent to Kim Kardashian. You heard it here first. One of the greatest LaMelo actresses was- of all time? Dude, I don't know. That that can take an individual breakout role. Each listener and each of you, but I said it first, so you're gonna be saying something else when he gets drafted by the Knicks in a couple months. I actually wouldn't hate it. <laughs> poor kid. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah, poor poor kid. I mean that yeah, that that's where Knicks fans are at, dude. Like I don't even claim to know anymore. Like, I'm in it for the ride. Whoever you give me, that's cool. You ride. 
Facts. Not like these two Jersey boys, Duff and Duff over there. Yeah, I was kind of a Knicks fan as a kid, but then I was a Nets fan because like all of a sudden they were in the championship and now they left. So now I'm a Sixers fan because I went to school about 30 minutes from Philly. At Duff. Uh, Andrew was never a Nets fan. He was Kevin Garnett. Well, I was talking to you, John Lucas. Yeah. I was never a Knicks fan. KG was my guy. Good guy to have. Love. Good guy to choose. Love KG. Absolutely. Um, well, yeah. All right. Let, wait, let's uh, let's regroup here for a second. I will apologize for the change in audio quality. Um, it's my fault. My phone died, and I'm now unable to have the Discord properly hooked up. And we're going through Bluetooth. It's a whole thing you don't need to hear about. But Frank Duff and Duff don't sound as crispy as they did five minutes ago, and it's my fault. So don't blame them. Uh, but let's move on. Fucked up. I took Mecca Okafor and Karan Butler. I fucked up. They're not bad players. I know, I know this is the first time on my show, but can I ask a quick question? Absolutely. P, where do you work? I work at um, Disney. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Do you have another job? Uh, yeah. I work at the fan. Oh, okay. Just checking. Thanks. Wait, 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 wait. What's going on here? I feel like that was an attack. I mean, oh, you know, production guy. Long, audio, oh, production guy. Honestly, it's worse that I didn't realize what the attack was. I just felt that it was an attack. I didn't even pick it up. I literally, if I read my resume, I would get to a line that says trained and experienced audio engineer. And here I am letting my equipment die on a podcast with my, with my pals over here. It's, it's not a good look for me. Not a good look. Like an audio contractor, not an audio engineer. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's a stretch to even have that on my resume, to be honest. I just press buttons. <laughs> oh, it's time for it's time for the sound? Bam! There we go. Uh, do something. And then Schmooze yells at you. <laughs> quicker! It's got to be quicker. Um, anyways, let's reset here. Sports Blog New York Podcast. We got Andrew Duffy. We got John Lucas Duffy. We got Frank Villani. We got Pete Kennedy, the shitty audio engineer here. Um we're talking MJ, we're talking Last Dance, and we want to get into some more Last Dance items before we talk about some other fun stuff at the end here. Uh, so I want to break this down into some categories. So we're going to hit these couple categories. We're each going to give our answers. We're going to try not to be too, too long with each answer, but we want to talk about a bunch of stuff that was very interesting and definitely noteworthy, worth mentioning about the show. This category one, favorite part of the doc. Very easy question there. Favorite part of the doc. Number two, Best supporting character in, or best supporting role could be a teammate, could be a coach, could be an exec. It could be the guy with the weird hair playing quarters. Doesn't matter. Up to you. Um, number three was Duff. Remind me because I forget. <laughs> Not even a good host. <laughs> there were three. Uh, no, I have someone else had a third one. You said there were four. I don't know. I had like, what's your what's your favorite like? Story that came about out Michael from Jordan it? that wasn't in the documentary. So if you have like a story about Michael Jordan that wasn't included in the doc, or uh, like I, I don't know, like a personal experience that you had, like I just feel like Michael right. Jordan was so present in my life without ever seeing him play. And we talk about like Space Jam and like Mike and stuff, and like the Jordan brand. Like think any if you if you have like a memory like that, it could be a pair life. of sneakers, your first pair. It could be anything. Okay, good. Sure. And then the fourth one was. Are the Bulls, the 98 Bulls or 97, 98 Bulls, the 72 in Bulls, whatever one you want to pick, is that the best team ever? Because that conversation has been sparked. Um, if you want to sprinkle into that, that he like definitely is the GOAT, even though you already thought he was the GOAT, now you know he's the GOAT. If you want to go GOAT, you want to go GOAT team, up to you. So first, uh, our guest, Andrew Duff, 
Why don't you give us your favorite part of the documentary? Uh, favorite part, and I know a lot of people love this, was the end of episode seven, I think, <clears throat> when he's talking about uh, being a, you know, quote unquote, bad teammate or whatever, and uh, how he got emotional. I thought that was really, it was kind of bizarre, but also at the same time, understanding that uh, he kind of got broken up about the fact that he kind of cared so much about this game and, and people questioned him about it. And <clears throat> one thing I noticed is, maybe he separated himself to a certain degree on purpose. That way he could almost be like a CEO or a boss mm. uh, and the big dog on the court and not have to worry about his emotional feelings when he asked like Steve Kerr to make a shot or to Pippen to get a stop or Rodman to get a rebound. It allowed him to create that separation and why he could dig in. But he was right. Like he, he never asked anyone to do anything he never did at one point in his career or didn't do it every day in the game. You want to keep going down the things or you want to go around? We'll go around. We'll go around. One of my favorite things that like a moment inside that moment you're talking about is when he's saying like, I never asked anyone to do anything I wouldn't do. Like they're running full court sprints and he's first like for like four down and backs. Like he's winning, he's like head down, running hard, like not smiling. Like they're not dogging it. Like that, that was just a cool little moment within the moment. That was, that was my favorite part too. Um, Just because, you talk about him getting emotional to me. He was getting emotional because he was so, he was so competitive and he just couldn't understand why people would judge him for that because you put him up on this pedestal. And like in America, we love to build people up to tear him down, like put him up on this pedestal because he's winning, winning, winning. And then anytime he does a little something wrong or cares a little too much about winning or he's too intense about this, that, or whatever, like, everyone jumps on his back about it. And I think that's why he got emotional about it. Like still to this day, like he, it's in his own documentary and people are like, do you think you were a bad guy or whatever? It's just like, he's like, what the fuck don't you guys get? Like, this is what I had to do to win. I told you the whole way that was all I cared about. And I love the CEO point, by the way, like he, he, not that he chose to isolate himself only because of that, but by kind of being isolated and being like this inhuman icon figure, superstar, he was more able to push himself to that point. He almost dehumanized himself for the sake of the ability to push others and to dig into people. Like he wasn't treating them like his best friends of the past 20 years. Like he was treating them like the guy he needed to do X so he could win and they could win together. But off that real quick, I always found really interesting throughout the whole series, how he like, had to gain trust with certain people and it took so much time and effort. Like the Steve Kerr story of how he gained trust of Michael, I thought was fantastic. And like the Paxson one, obviously even Rodman to a point where like he, he proved himself on the court and Michael knew if Rodman was on the court that he had him and that was enough for him. Like the way he navigated all of that was super interesting too. And he did it so smoothly by dehumanizing himself and being like a CEO of the Bulls, which is crazy. I didn't really think of it the way you put it there. I like that. Yeah. I mean, Kerr literally yeah. had to punch Michael Jordan in the chest to get his respect. <laughs> punch him in the chest. Yeah, that's, that's intensity. But, like, I don't know. I feel like even part of the emotions was, like, the, the, the director of that or whoever was, you know, interviewing everybody for that was showing him all these videos. And I think, Love like, that. seeing some of the videos – of like, um, I'm forgetting the point guard's name, but the guy who went to Charlotte and played. P.J. Armstrong. 
yeah, B.J. Armstrong saying, like, you know, was Michael a nice guy? And then kind of making a face, and then... It's like, he couldn't have been. Scott Burrell. And, like, yeah, he was more understanding about it than some of the other people that they interviewed about it. But I feel like that was partially what upset him at that time, too. Because I feel like that's, like, a misportrayal because he really did care about his teammates. And I think that kind of came through in the last few episodes, like, kind of the point you guys are we're already making like he dehumanized himself and he never showed it and this that and the other but he did genuinely care about those people for sure and i think hearing from them that they didn't necessarily know that or feel that at the time i think that kind of got to them but beyond that uh i'm gonna move to my favorite part which is different than your guys favorite part um maybe nobody else liked it as much as i did but it's after the last time they lost to the Detroit Pistons, who were just beating the shit out of him, and, like, the next clip is, like, him in the gym benching and, like, working out, and his quote was, like, you know, now it's my time to inflict the pain. Like, I just, I lost it right there. I became a Michael Jordan stan. You know, I've always been a fan for someone who never watched, you know, for the brand, the shoes, whatever. But like that moment right there, I was, I was all in. Uh, so I guess I'll answer two questions right now. He know he was not the definitive goat in my mind before this, but after watching this hundred percent definitive goat and just to see that mentality, like I wish so many other people in professional sports had that attitude, not just basketball players or whatever, but just like, you know, now it's my time to inflict the pain. That, that's just like, I feel like that coincides with my mentality when I played sports. Like, you know, I'll take it, but then at a point, I'm going to start giving it. Yeah, and a lot of guys now, they like talk, they, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Like Facts. Michael always said, it's all about winning. And you'll hear guys say that, I want to win, I want to win, I want to win. Like, I would love to win. And it's like Jimmy Butler is a recent example I think of because he was just all about winning, winning, winning. I want to win. I want to get traded. I don't want to be here in Minnesota. I want to be with a winning team. It's like, all right, yeah, where do where do you want to go? He's like, oh, I would love to go to uh, the Clippers, the Knicks, or the Nets. It's like, what? There's three teams that missed the playoffs. Like, what are you talking about? Those teams are nowhere near winning. It's like, what? What are you talking about? So, like, of course, he's just, like, saying what he's saying, but then he's just like, yeah, I just want to get paid max money and be in a big city and blah, blah, blah. Right. He eventually went to, like, Miami, and they're and actually trying to win there, but that's I, not what he was saying. I do think, though, that Butler's um, a, more of a Jordan example than a not Jordan example. Like, I think because the way he plays and trains and practices and apparently pushes guys, like, and the way he, you know, bought into the Miami Heat culture right away, he is that guy. Like, he kind of does walk the walk as well, in my opinion. But, like... All the guys, and I hate to do this, obviously, because like Kobe Bryant obviously recently passed away, but not every 40-point game is 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 for Kobe, right? Like, there's a lot of guys in the league now who are, like, mama mentality, like, oh, the Jordan's a killer, I gotta be a killer, like, but, like, you're not doing it like that, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, yeah. I, I've reached a point after Kobe passed, and, you know, I'm still sad about that. When I saw him pop up on the documentary, like, I got worked up, like, I mean, teared up like everybody else probably did, but there was a point for me during the NBA season when it was still going on where I was like, seriously, every 40-point game you're putting up or every big game you're putting up, it's because the mom mentality all of a sudden you have it, and, like, what about tomorrow night when you drop 22 and lose by 20 to, 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 to Portland or something? You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a lot of players, like you said, Duff, 
who now know what they're supposed to say, but can't physically, mentally get themselves to that level. And that's what Jordan showed us year in, year out, episode in, episode out on a documentary, that he got himself to this level where you almost think individual athletes only get there. Like, tennis players are freaks because they're alone so much. Golfers are freaks because they're alone so much. Lance Armstrong, obviously, doper and steroids and whatnot. But, like, he was a freak where he got himself to that that insane competitive level over and over and over again. And, like, LeBron does it in a very different way. I wouldn't even know. We would need to do a whole other episode about how LeBron gets to a similar point. But, like, Michael Jordan was so unique, so specific in that competitive nature. And I watched that thinking to myself, there must only be 10 people, 20 people in the world who have that, what he has. And it might be a businessman. It might be uh, a regular person who has it in their field. But in his field... Serena Williams. Right. And in his field, he was able to get there more consistently than anybody else we have ever seen. And that's incredible. The the LeBradford Smith story was incredible in the the doc also. LeBradford Smith story was awesome. That was, I had actually, I had heard that story, but I didn't know that Jordan had made it up. I thought, I didn't know, like, LeBron versus, <laughs> but I just heard, like, oh, yeah, there was a player who was, like, nice game, Mike, and then the next game, he just, like, destroyed him. And I was like, damn, really? Like, that's it? That's all it took? Like, I didn't know all the details, that it was, like, home and home, like, and then as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, my God, this guy said this to him, and he's, like, he's playing him again tomorrow? Like, what are you thinking? So, like, at that point, I, like, couldn't really believe it. And then, uh, like, obviously, it goes on, like, Jordan destroys them the next game. They win by 20, scores like 36 in the first half. And then turns out like years, decades later, he was like, oh yeah, that wasn't true. Like I made that up. I just, Crazy. I just needed to motivate myself. It's like, oh my God, he's a psychopath. Psycho. No, it's Tom Brady, by the way. I didn't, didn't mention Tom Brady, but Tom's got that, that, that screw loose or too tight maybe. Yeah. Dude, Michael Jordan is like the ultimate bulletin board material person. Like that's. That to me, like that's the thing that I like. I think he's also the greatest of all time. I I always thought he was like, just from like the way people talked about him, what I could watch, like with the resources given, and then I just kind of always felt like Michael Jordan's probably better. Like I never saw him play, but I just have this feeling like he's better. He's better. Like I I won't ever say LeBron is the best. Like it got to a point where I was really close, and LeBron is easily the best basketball player I've ever seen, but these these crazy stories you hear about Michael where he was just like brain it's like he brainwashed himself to all he cared about was winning yeah and it pushed away people around him a bit and we saw that too which was a great part like his family was never in the dock his kids were in the very last episode I think a minute and a half a minute yeah yeah wait Duff what was your favorite part Duff let's let's uh get to the question here too because we keep talking about oh I'd say uh if it wasn't the end of episode seven it would probably be like towards the end of episode eight like middle episode eight when he's talking about the Sonics, they're talking about the Sonics uh, finals oh, in 96. And then you have uh, Gary Payton talking about, like, you know, George Carl, he didn't want me to, to guard Michael Jordan. He thought I was going to get too tired. They needed me on offense. And then I started to guard him later in the series. And you could see the momentum was shifting, and it was just too late. But, <laughs> like, I, I wanted that responsibility for my team. Like, I knew I could do it. And the whole time they have – they were doing that that thing like you're talking about. The director has the iPad and he's showing Michael Jordan that part of the interview. So Michael Jordan is hearing this. The audio, you know, the viewers are hearing this, and you can see Michael just smiling ear to ear. And then he's, you know, like he knew I could defend him, and I was giving him trouble. And then Michael Jordan just bursts out, like he's just laughing so hard. And I just thought it was hysterical. 
that Michael Jordan was sitting there, like just laughing in Gary Payton's face and on national, like worldwide TV, like <laughs> laughing at his belief in himself as a player, his belief in himself as a person, his belief in himself as a man. And Michael Jordan just thought it was hysterical. Like that, yeah. like that's the type See, of the thing is, psycho like, shit. Gary Payton was like, he was like, I don't know if it would have, he literally said, I don't know if it would have changed the outcome, but you know, it's a regret. And right. like, Michael could, Mike, you know, he didn't even say, oh, we, we would have beat him if I did it from the beginning. Like, Michael couldn't have even given him, like, it would have been a better shot. Yeah. He's, like, he's just know, like, ha. The glove, the glove like, fit fine. The glove. The glove. Scary pain. <laughs> Honestly, that. I had no problem with the glove. That, that directorial <laughs> technique, directorial technique, that works, right? Yeah. Of showing MJ specific clips, like the Isaiah clip and, and a couple of the other, like the Jerry Reinsdorf one at the very end. Like, that, those were super powerful because we were hearing it as he was hearing it for the first time. And, I mean, maybe he saw it before. Who knows? Like, if they actually prepped him, I imagine they didn't. But, like, that was so cool that we were learning pieces of information that MJ was learning at the same time. Like, that was that was a really cool thing that you don't see in docs very often. That was awesome. That was um, awesome. My favorite part, quickly, I'll do uh, an out-of-the-box part. There was a – I don't even remember what episode. It could have been, like, three or four or something like that where he was in a hotel room and there was a camera came in and he's lying there with a cigar. Like he always had. And he was like, yeah, I like, I like it in here because like, this is where I could actually be like alone and there's no, no cameras in front of me and I'm by myself and I could, I could actually relax. Like as soon as I go out anywhere, you know, I'm, I'm harassed. Like everybody thinks they want to be Michael Jordan for a day or a week. But if you did it for a year, you would think you would realize it's not that easy or not that fun. And I'm somebody who over sympathizes with most celebrities and, and sports players. But when you see that, it's like, damn, like, you know, it's real easy to sit in our chairs and be like, damn, if I could be Michael Jordan or if I had that talent, if I had this and I had that, like, I would love to feel what it would be like to fly through the air. Nobody ever or no one consistently puts yourself in those shoes where a burden of a city of a sport were on his shoulders day in, day out. And uh, that part made him human. And that part made me love him on a level I never did before. So that was definitely one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. Pete, did it hurt you to see him vanquish the Jazz twice? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, but uh, I think the Jazz walked away with some more respect out of this doc. I do think that. I think there was a, their first Finals appearance ever in '97, right? Yeah, there was a narrative yeah. going around in the in the LeBron Jordan goat conversation that. You know, Jordan, oh, who did he really play? Like, he got magic at the end. Like, no one thought the Portland Trailblazers were this or that. Like, the Sonics don't even get mentioned on that first title they won. The Suns and Charles Barkley, like, that was even a little closer than we thought, I guess. But the Jazz, I think, proved and walked away out of this documentary as one of the most legit contenders um, to go up against a dynasty, really, right? So I think you walk away looking at Stockton and Malone, and Malone gets a load of crap for never winning a ring, uh, that he's just a stats guy and this and that, but the Bulls said it themselves. He was a problem, and it's not like he didn't show out in these finals. Like He he did good, and they had him on the on the ropes. So I think the Jazz walked away with, with a nice, you know, head hell high moment at, at the end of this doc, too. But I think, one thing about I think the Jazz, I think one of his quotes was, one of the best parts of the documentary uh, in that one of those last two episodes where he's like talking about how everybody revered Michael Jordan and looked at him the way they did. And he's like, you know, heck no, we didn't look at him that way. He's like, how could you compete against someone like that? Right. Who said that? uh, John Stockton. Right. 
and Reggie Miller had a similar point in the beginning too. In the beginning of that episode, that was awesome. Yeah, uh, but even even Reggie Miller like more so admitted to like you know the admiration of Black Jesus. John Stockton <laughs> was straight up just like he wasn't a Superman to me, bro. Yeah, that's why you can't. That's why so many guys in the league now, unless they're like super young, like grew up watching LeBron kind of like we did, like they'll never say that LeBron is the best player of all time because like how could you go look at him and compete like knowing like if he has that and think mental, beat him. mental edge. Like right. you hear Chris Bosh say in an interview before, he's like, you know, information is currency. Like you can't be given little stuff away like that, especially at the time. Like you can't believe it. The same way Eli Manning thinks he's elite. You can't, <laughs> you can't believe you're not. Oh man. Well, you got to believe your own hype. Let's move on to our own uh, new category just before this goes off the rails too much. But <laughs> our next category is um, supporting, supporting role player, supporting cast member for the doc, whatever you want to call it. Favorite, you know, secondary player, tertiary player, coach, media member, doesn't matter. Any character from the documentary. So Frank, you went uh, towards the end of our first category. So why don't you start us off? Who was your favorite supporting member of the documentary? I'm glad you're coming to me first because not only is it the first answer, it's the only right answer. Uh, it was the worm. It was Dennis Rodman. Oh, bro. Hunt it. He was just, at the time, he was enamoring, like, as a figure. And even today, he still is. Like, just a crazy, wacky, zany, completely out of his mind character person. Um but really goddamn good at basketball. So, and good at that guy. This is how you know. This ain't no NBA freaking substance abuse is a joke. How did that guy (laughs) never test positive? He had a hat that said bong period. Yeah, he did have a hat. (laughs) Which I think everybody Um, wants that hat now. It just said bong on it. All right, we went to Vegas in the middle of the season on a bender for three days, right? Literally, he missed practice during the finals. He missed practice during the finals to go on WWF. And then he cheated on Carmen with uh, Madonna. Or vi- or no, Madonna was first, I Yeah, thought. vice versa. She was first. <laughs> crazy. All right, well, crazy story. Any of the Duffs, for- whatever Duff wants to go first, who, who can top Dennis Rodman as supporting cast member? Uh, well, I didn't, I, I thought the Rodman stuff was really cool. Cause I didn't know about it. I could definitely see myself like hating Rodman. If I was, if I was living through it now, just be like, I'm so fucking tired of this guy. Like he would, I feel like he would be kind of like Draymond Green now where I'm just like sick of his talking and his bullshit. Like Druggy but Draymond. I would look at him play and I'd be like, man, he's fucking good though. Like, I don't know. Um, at least in the specific situation he was in. Right. But my, my favorite part was probably the Steve Kerr stuff for, for the supporting cast, like a lot of that stuff about Steve Kerr, I already knew, like I knew about his father being a, you know, history of the Middle East professor. I knew about him going to the Middle East and and how he died. But the one thing that I really didn't make the connection to was like him and Jordan were on the same team. And the director asked him, have you, have you and Michael ever discussed your fathers together? And he said, he said, no. And it was kind of like he had never even thought to do it. And I wouldn't be surprised if like Michael had never thought to do it either, because that was just such like a personal painful thing that they had never talked about with each other or probably with a lot of people. And it was interesting to see how emotional Steve Kerr like got, got, like he was able to talk about the story about his father easily, but he wasn't able to answer that question easily. And I thought that was really interesting that even though like 
talking about how Michael Jordan was like that CEO, keep a distance type of thing. Like he wasn't someone you would go to with personal problems, even though each of their biggest personal problems in life were the same thing. Their fathers were killed. And I, yeah. I thought that was like a really, really interesting and telling story. I said it to my roommate. We were watching together. As soon as we went to commercial break after the Steve Kerr stuff, I was like, he is one of the most articulate people we have in sports and he was left speechless. I was like, I had the chills even thinking back to it right now. Like, have you ever seen Steve Kerr not know what to say or how to break the ice or how to be uh, thinking outside the box or making you look at something from a new perspective? And in that moment, he had nothing to say. And that spoke more volumes than anything he probably could have said. That, that was really powerful. Kind of reminds you a lot of Phil Jackson in that way, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Like Phil's got the outside the box view on things and he knows the right things to say and the buttons to push. And Kerr's the exact same type of guy, maybe not with the same ideas with the yoga and, and uh, Native American history and the things that Phil Jackson had. But I think that's the same way Kerr likes to coach too, is he's, he's definitely more of a personal guy uh, than like Jordan would be as a coach. So it was surprising that they never talked about it, but not really because it didn't seem like Jordan had a friendship with really anyone on the team other than just like the clowning around usual stuff. Uh, and maybe Scott looked like he really hung out. Right. Scottie, Which is interesting to me that they, they were like working together basically every day for, or like nine months, you know, every day uh, during for like four or five years, like four years, four years and change. They were coworkers for, spending so much time together and they never talked about it. I thought that was really interesting. Did you have a favorite uh, supporting cast member, Andrew? Yep. I don't know if anyone specifically was my favorite. I just really enjoyed seeing all the players, um, teammates and, uh, you know, adversaries. You know, I, I liked seeing them all just talk about the games and just talk about Jordan. It was just really cool to see all of them guys like Bill Cartwright like I don't know anything about him but just seeing him talk and he was a coach and the crying scene with Pippen like that was amazing uh you see Horace Grant and he's still jacked it looked like he could play right now if he wanted to bench a thousand pounds right now (laughs) yeah uh Paxton I really enjoyed Paxton he had a lot of really really great things to say especially when he was talking about taking Kerr under his wing uh and showing him the ropes in his last season um it just really shows how these guys that we might make fun of as fans because they're the eighth, ninth, or the towel, you know, the Brian Scalabrini, I mean, they still have a basketball IQ that's through the roof, or they they still see the game uh, in such a way that you can't always comprehend as a fan. So I thought that was really cool just to see guys who are role players just talk about things and, and, and make you understand it better. Your boy, Bill Willington. Yes, the great facial hair. Yeah, a lot of great things to say, right? I mean, they, yeah, he was good. Like he was good. He was, and it was so clear. Like you're talking about those. You're talking about those like tenth, eleventh, twelfth guys on the roster type thing. Like Will Purdue hates Michael Jordan. He hates. He straight up hates that guy. There's no way around it. Like he kept saying, he's like, dude, what? like he would come play blackjack with us. We're playing for a dollar a hand. They're playing for serious money in the back. He would come over and be like, what are you doing here? Like he's like saying to Michael Jordan, he's like. Oh, uh, guys, it, it, it had like that very like middle school, high school thing where it's like, 
oh man, like the cool kids coming to sit by our table. I bet he's just going to make fun of us. Why are you here? Go away. <laughs> like that's how it felt to me. That was funny. And anyway, um, so my favorite guy, and it's not actually favorite's the wrong word, but somebody who came out as a winner, I think a big winner from this documentary uh, deserves a shout. And I'll, I'll take my chance to do it is Phil Jackson. I mean, we all heard how he was the guru and he was the greatest coach the ever and the Zen master and, and this and that. I think seeing it in action more in the documentary style allowed us youngins who our recent memory of Phil blowing up the Knicks and doing a terrible job with that and being aloof and not even being present, like seeing him do what he did best up close and personal and navigate ego and navigate. This was incredible. And specifically how he handled Dennis Rodman. I cannot, I can't even fathom how like anyone else could have done what Phil did to keep Dennis Rodman on the court and to keep him in the, in the proper headspace, the way he navigated that, the way he handled all of it, the way him and Michael grew as competitors and, uh, you know, teammates of sorts, even though he was the coach was really, really awesome. So I think Phil came out on top. He came out a big winner from this documentary. I agree. So do you guys have it? Michael was pretty great. Yeah, to this yeah. day. To this day. Interesting, right? Because uh, you hear nothing but like friction, right, with Kobe and, and Shaq and some of these other guys. And it was Michael will go to the wall for him. Mm-hmm. Dude, Michael said he wasn't going to play if they didn't bring him back. He didn't play. Right? <laughs> he didn't. Yeah. He said it and then <laughs> didn't. <laughs> But like that, that speaks hey, volumes to it. For yeah. sure. Yeah, that was yeah. awesome. I, Phil came out a winner. For sure. Uh, uh, do you guys have any like, uh, like, like little, little things maybe you learned in the documentary that 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 like weren't like kind of top of top of the line importance? Just like a fun trivia fact that you didn't know about, or like maybe something you might know, like a little story about Michael Jordan when you were a kid like that you want to include from your own personal experience like I, I don't know so, yeah. something along those lines I'll actually I'll hop in first on this one because I uh I'll take it even further something that you know, we've been hearing a lot of people talk about Michael Jordan too not on the documentary and a story I heard after on SportsCenter which by the way Scott Van Pelt every single Sunday night after the two episodes just did a beautiful job with his with his uh, array of guests but he had on Diana Taurasi last night after the last episode or Sunday night, and she told the story how she was a senior at one of Jordan's camps, and if you hit a free throw at the end, like you got a free pair of Jordans, and she was like, you know, probably the best girl player there, and she missed her free throw. So she didn't get, she thought like, oh, I'll probably just get one anyway. Didn't get a pair of sneakers. The next year she came back as a player at UConn, as a, as a counselor at the camp, and she sees Michael Jordan, and Michael Jordan says to her without even bringing, like no one brought it up. He said it right to her and goes, hey, you working on those free throws? And like that competitiveness of Jordan, even in something like that, like giving a kid a pair of sneakers at one of his camps, he remembered this one person came back a year later was like, yo, you working on your free throws? You trying to get those, you trying to get those sneakers yet or what? Like that, that was really cool. And I was like, Diana Taurasi's like, the most decorated female basketball player possibly of all time as well. Um, and for her to tell that story, I thought that was, that was really fucking cool to be honest. So like for him to have that level of focus and, and energy, he probably didn't know her name. Maybe he did, maybe he did. doesn't matter. But he saw that person and said, specifically, you working on those free throws? Do you want sneakers or what? Cause 
you messed up last time. You blew your shot. And that was really cool to hear. That's awesome. I missed that story. I didn't see that. Frank, what about you? Um, nothing like really outside of it, but I'll take one thing from the documentary itself. Um, the flu game where Michael said it wasn't the flu, it was food poisoning and just like the way he got it. Like it doesn't really change much, you know, it's still pretty amazing, but like, I guess it's cool to know the truth behind that. Like that was definitely kind of shocking to hear him say. Flu game sounds cooler anyway. Yeah, way better. It does, but (laughs) the other way sounds just like, I don't know, in the competition of sport or like the spirit of sport, like this, these five pizza delivery guys almost took down Jordan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Terrifying. Could you imagine if he just like died from a Salt Lake City pizza? That would have been awful. It would have been the worst ending. Andrew, what about you? Uh, mine was probably uh, learning about his relationship with Kobe. Mm. Um, how Kobe talked about it, how they would text and talk, and he was asking for pointers. And then uh, I even went back and watched Jordan's speech at Kobe's funeral uh, memorial. And uh, it was interesting to see how the roles, rever- uh, the roles were reversed. And, and, and Kobe had a touch Jordan from a personal level on how to be a better father, a better family man, a better person. As much crap as I've given Kobe over the years and never rooted for him and just didn't like his attitude and the way he went about it, off the court, minus his instant, uh, you know, situation in Colorado. Colorado. Incident. Yeah. Um, As far as being a father and a role model and a successful person and a person who touched people's lives you know, he's, he, Kobe did a great job of that. There's no questions. So it was interesting to see Jordan, you know, praise him and, and look up to him uh, when he gave that speech at his memorial. And no one really knew about that relationship either. And that was the way they wanted it to be. And that was like what was so cool about at at Kobe's uh, ceremony. Like you're talking about, I didn't think Jordan would be there. Like, why? I don't know. Like, maybe he would be there, but like, would he speak? Like, And then he got up there and he was crying. It was like, a real kind of awakening for a lot of people who maybe were like, you know, like I'm a Jordan guy, but I'm, you know, I'm a Kobe guy, like Jordan's a go, Kobe's a go, blah, blah, going back and forth. It's like those two just kind of lived in harmony and appreciated each other. That was really fun. And the story Jordan, Jordan uh, told about going one-on-one, he was like, he was talking about all the players in the league today who go on one-on-one or like everybody. I think oh, no, it was early. It was early at the, at the 98 all-star. Yeah. And he was talking about the little Laker boy or whatever. He wants to take everyone one-on-one. No, no, I'm not even talking about that. There's a clip. It wasn't on the documentary. It came out just not that long ago though, or, or getting circulated. He was like, you know, on one-on-one, I would like to take on Jerry West and then this person and then magic and bird. And oh, this is what I would do. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, and you know, uh, LeBron, Carmelo, Anthony, He's like, I think I would, I would be able to beat all them, uh, like, but they would be the the people I want, I would want to go up against. He goes and Kobe, you know, I don't know about Kobe. I, he took all my moves, like he might be able to get me. You know what I mean? Like he's like, he, he basically he was like Kobe might have done it, like he might have been able to beat me one on one because he took all my damn moves, and like that was another yeah. thing. Like we that we had no idea that that relationship was so so tight knit. Like, we had no idea, and that was. He was, that was like a, that's a telling comment too, because he's, he probably like through so many conversations and him basically like trying to coach Kobe through things probably was 
telling him his mindset, okay, in this situation, you want to do this. In this situation, you want to do that. And it's like you're playing. It would basically be like a mirror. He's playing against himself, not only physically with the moves, but like mentally with how he might try to beat him in certain situations. Facts. That was really, it was really cool. Duff, what's yours? Uh, I think uh, like uh, the the pizza one was definitely was definitely pretty cool. I would say like the the Jazz in the last episode they scored fifty four points in a finals game. Like oh that was insane. <laughs> that was insane. Like if you told me she'd be like, "Wow, the Warriors scored fifty four points last night," I'd be like, "In a quarter." Like that would be like <laughs> if someone was like, "Oh, they scored fifty four points and a half." Like, all right, that's not interesting like they scored 54 points in the game like aha good one like that's not even possible if i hear 50 someone's like wow 54 points last night the jazz like i'll be like wow in a quarter that's insane like how'd they do that <laughs> like that was just mind-boggling like just seeing kind of the scores and how the game was played and so like the court seemed like so like crowded the way that the the teams were playing against each other everything inside the three-point line it seemed crowded and empty at the same time because you see all this free space around the three-point arc and you're just like, oh my God, like there's so much room to move and they don't understand, like just go go back, like move away. Like, uh, so that was one of the things, uh, something that wasn't in the documentary that uh, one, of my, one of my favorite Jordan stories is uh, about when he was going to get drafted and, you know, obviously Akeem Olajuwon goes first. You hear, what's his name, Rod, Rod Thorne, Rod yeah, yeah. Rob Thornton, like whoever the GM was at the time who drafted him. Uh, he was like, look, everyone's going to take Elijah one. There's no doubt in my mind. And then the Blazers took Sam Bowie because they already had Clyde Drexler and him and Jordan played the same position. So when Jordan was on the Olympic team right before the, the draft, not right before, maybe it was a year before, he was on the Olympic team. And Bob Knight was the coach of that team. And, and you know, Portland was coming tonight saying, you know, we got a high draft pick. You know, who do you think we should take in this upcoming draft? You know, we, I think we're going to have a shot at a high draft pick. He goes, take Michael Jordan. He's like, well, we already have Clyde Drexler. We really need a center. And Bob Knight responds, play Michael Jordan at center. Like, just play him. Like, he is the best player. Just play him wherever. Just figure it out. Like, he's he's the guy you want. And, like, of course, you know, Blazers famously don't do that. But I thought that was really a cool story to to hear. Like, Bob Knight was just like, get this guy like even before a position like what the hell's position is basketball at that time nothing and it was just really cool to hear him say just put him anywhere on the court and he will help you win like even at such a young age he had that impression on one of the most famous basketball people ever yeah and then larry bird called him god he was like after black jesus after the um the celtics beat the bulls they beat the bulls and then larry bird was still like i think we were playing against god yeah, like that was that wasn't Michael Jordan. That was Jesus. This guy's <laughs> Michael Jordan. Oh my Crazy. God! My my second favorite part of the documentary that whole sequence where he goes golfing with Danny Ainge and he tells him, you know, tell your boy I'm a drive or tell your boy I got something special for him tonight. Dan Marley. Yeah. Tells him, no, that was uh, DJ. DJ Marley. Dan Marley. Yeah, no, Dennis Johnson. Oh right, 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 right. <laughs> and he just goes out and drops sixty piece, but they still lose. Like, yeah, I think they get swept, right? Did they get swept in that series? Yeah, three hours. Like yeah. yeah, the good five, old days when the round two. round one was five games. Oof. Yeah, yeah that was the year the Celtics were. Uh, eighty six. Nineteen eighty six. Yeah, yep. They were one of the all time greats. 
Yeah, that was so many good stories. We could keep going and going and going with this stuff. Uh, we are getting a little bit long here, so let's get to our last topic now. Um, the the conversation of the best team of all time comes up from now and again, especially you know when the Warriors were on their seventy three win run. Uh, the Heat with LeBron, Wade, and Bosh, and and that crew. Uh, you could argue a Spurs team here or the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe. There's definitely some arguments you made about some teams, but the one that's always stood on top of the, the totem pole has been this Bulls team that we just watched up close and personal in this documentary. Is there an argument for any other team? Andrew, I'll go to you first. Is there an argument for any other team? Or do you think, especially now after seeing this documentary, you think the Jordan Bulls of the late nineties was the, either, whichever one you pick the night, probably the one right before 97, 98 would be the, their peak, right? But would would that Bulls team be your best team of all time? Uh, I have no idea. I mean, I, I heard uh, Bill Simmons talk about this lately. With the he's saying that what was it, the seventeen Warriors with I guess Durant, uh, Curry, Clay, and Dre, uh, and then obviously that Bulls team, and then you know the Celtics in '86, and uh, some of the Showtime Lakers. Right. I don't know who I would I would even know, or I don't know enough, but I don't know how I would ever be able to pick against the team with Jordan on it. I mean, to me, he's, he's the best player. I mean, he was certainly, you know, probably the second best winner, I guess, technically, if you want to count uh, Russell there. Right. Bill there Russell. I, right. I, I just don't know how you pick against Jordan in, in any game because he just, he knew how to get it done at all times. So, I, I think I tend to agree with that, uh, even beyond it. Like, I don't know. Obviously, we don't have, you know, much knowledge on all these teams as much as we do now, these both teams and even the Warriors team of late. But just, like, they were obviously there skill-wise, even with that Warriors team. And they also just seem to have, like, that late time, like, crunch time, like, just, like, they had the last possession, you know, you felt like you lost the game. And like I don't know if I necessarily felt that way with uh, the twenty seventeen Warriors, so I, I think I'd go with yeah, for me personally. With who? Who'd you who'd you pick? The the ninety seven ninety eight Bulls. Ninety seven ninety eight Bulls. Whatever team it. Was. Well, you could you could probably Whatever argue that the the second to last year of Jordan's Bulls career was probably their best team, right? Yeah, just or, the, or the uh, just based off ninety one, ninety two. A lot of people say ninety one, right. when they beat the Blazers. Right, right. I, mean, I would, I'll say the twenty seventeen Warriors. I'll pick them as my as like the best team of all time. I just think I don't know when I. It, it's tough to compare teams because the way you play basketball is so different, and you know, guys, if they were training this, that, whatever. There's a million ways you can do it, but if you're really talking about, you know, teams, I kind of the way I think about it is, you know, if we were to you know, play these teams against each other and basically do like a time machine type thing. So we bring, you know, the, the 96 Bulls or the whatever, the 86 Celtics or the, you know, whatever, all these teams, if they come forward into 2017 to play the, the the Warriors, what would that look like? And I just feel like the Warriors would shoot them out of the gym. Like just make, if they make like 15 to 23s, that's just like, right. Stylistically, you just can't. That's why it gets so hard. It gets so mucky there. Yeah. But another thing. If you had 10 more threes on another team, it's like 30 points that you have to make up on the foul line, mid range jump shots, like layups. There's so many more baskets, a lot more effort. 
Yeah, and the one thing I will add, because I'm thinking about the same thing as you are, Duff, and uh, people will say about, oh, Jordan wouldn't be able to do what he did then so easily. Like, no, no, he would be able to do what he did then easier because there aren't as many big seven foot behemoths just hanging out by the rim with a a power forward on the other block. Also not giving him any space. Jordan would have had free range to the basket all the time. He obviously would have incorporated threes into his game more if he played now. So then it gets, yeah, no hand checks. It's get, it gets mucky. There's defensive three seconds now, illegal defense. Exactly. So Jordan would have been able to get to the rim with ease as well. So, like, that argument makes it maybe a little more balanced. But when you think about the construct of a team, you had Jordan. I'll say for the Warriors, you had Durant. You had Pippen. You had Curry. You had Rodman. You had Draymond Green. Clay Thompson's out here like, yo, I'm way better than anyone else on the Bulls. I'm better than Kukoc. Yeah, Steve Kerr's like, fuck, this guy's 6'7". Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm saying. It's like that Warriors team, the way they move the ball, the way they played as a unit – uh, I, I like to give them the edge on talent, but when you come down to you know how you're going to win in crunch time and whatnot, I think about this all the time in today's NBA, and the Warriors ran into this. How many close games did the Warriors play? They were blowing people out all year. They weren't, even in the playoffs, they were either seemingly winning by 10 or, or losing by a, by a few. And, and I get this problem with the Bucks now. They crush people. This is it. How, often, it. Do they, how often do they play close? The Bulls played. I love this argument from Pete. They, I love it. They the, win. They win too much. They, they win, win too hard. They do. The, Why are they think winning about, so much. Think about throughout this whole Bulls documentary, they got tight, tight, close, competitive games against all sorts of teams. Against the Pistons for three years in a row. Against the the Lakers. Against the Knicks. The Knicks gave the Bulls Even a run for the money. The Nets in that last year in the first round, those were like all close games. Like yeah. Overtime, only won by four, blah, blah, blah. The Pacers, the Suns, the Jazz, they all gave the Bulls a tight run and they were able to come out on top. Now, I don't know if that means the Warriors would Michael Jordan, blow them. Michael Jordan, slow starter? Slow <laughs> starter, Michael Jordan? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that means the Warriors Drama would Queen? blow them out. But if it comes down to like a fourth quarter with a few minutes left, the way the Bulls can control games and, and do that stuff, it's going to be hard to go against them. But uh, I, I think I'm kind of with you. I think if you talk about talent where you can isolate individuals and say who is better, I think the Warriors have more better players. And they were a really, really amazing team as well. So, like, You bring up a good point, though. I didn't think about it. Do the Warriors win by too many points? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I didn't think about that. The Warriors might just win by 20, and we wouldn't have this conversation. If they do, it's only because the league is so watered down now, you know, because there's oh. like 70 teams. <laughs> Stop. Oh, my God. Wow. Well, I, 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 I just want to say, like, after after watching this and I, I finally finished the book of basketball, I care less about, like, who's the greatest team and who's this. I, I think now it gets broken into, like, errors. Like, yeah. the Bulls are the best from, like, you know, whatever. 90 to 2000. Yeah. You know, right, exactly. Or even longer. You don't have to put it by decade, like. Right, or even longer. Just like the Bull, those Jordan Bulls teams were the best teams until, like, I don't know, the Heat maybe, the LeBron's Heat, or like the Kobe Shaq Warriors. And then right. whatever iteration of the Spurs maybe. Or, right, exactly. I saw, some, yeah. I saw something on, uh, on, on the internet today. Speaking of just like breakdown and, and as the years go by kind of thing. From 1994 to 2003, every single – NBA championship team had either Robert Ory or Steve Kerr on it. Yep. 
Really? The Spurs, yeah. the Spurs, and the Bulls, and the Lakers. That was uh, all Kerr and, and Horry. the Rockets. The Rockets, and the Rockets Bulls, had Horry. Lakers, Spurs, Rockets. Yeah. Freaking wow. Robert Horry, huh? Sheesh. And the Lakers had him. Yeah, I mean, he probably played the biggest role, I guess, on the Lakers, right? With the, some of the shots he hit. That dude deserves his own documentary. He, big, yeah. he had a big role when he was with the Rockets. Dude, I think that guy, there was a, he, and he's in the book of basketball. He's on the pyramid. I think he's like, a, like he's not ranked very high, but. He, he's a he level six, one guy. Yeah, level one. He had six championships, I think. Or yeah, like, six. Yeah, was it six? He had the same number of championships as Michael Jordan. Robert Ory, man, yeah. And he's a role guy. Like, think about that. so wild. But it matters. Those guys matter. I actually think I also took away from this documentary that because I, I mean we always have these conversations about oh who's the MVP, who's the, the the guy you want on your team, but these other dudes matter. Like no matter how you skin it, like Luke Longley mattered. You know what I mean? And like when I watched the Warriors um, last year versus four years ago, I remember saying to to you guys on this podcast like this is not the same team. Like yeah, they still have Steph. Dre, Clay, and well, Kevin Durant with the injuries and whatnot, even disregarding that, they don't have the other guys they used to have. Iggy's old and not what he once was. They don't have even a Mo Spates who just gets a bucket off Sean the bench. Livingston wasn't as good. Yeah, Livingston, Leandro Barbosa, Andrew Bogut. Like, all those guys played really important really roles. Important. And I think I think watching this Bulls documentary, I realized how important a Luke Longley was. Obviously, Steve Kerr is a little more decorated with how important he was, but Paxson um, and... Uh, Ron Ron Harper, yeah, Ron Harper and and Coach, like these guys were important, and I think Jordan learned that in his career, and we able we were able to learn that with him as we watched the doc. Like it really takes a whole team to win a championship. Ron Harper was in so many of like the clips, like doing defense stuff, and they never gave him any time of day. I agree. Yeah, getting his ass beat by Jordan in Cleveland. Yeah. Also that. <laughs> they really glossed over that. That was great. And he re- they really shifted all the blame for that play onto Craig Elo. That was who's who by the way had like a broken ankle in that game or like sprained ankle that whole game. And he had a great game. And he got like he shouldn't have, he was right Ron Harper was right though. That was bullshit. Like Elo should not have been guarding him in that last play just cuz he was hurt. Like it was very strange. I watched that game recently. Oof. Uh- <laughs> This has been great fun. Uh, do we? I mean, we're kind of long already. Do we want to talk about anything else about current basketball and the state of sports and quarantine? Oh, what do you got, Andrew? Eh. I got I got one thing about the last dance that needs to be said. Jerry fucking Krause. Oh, we didn't even bring him up. We didn't even talk about him. He was the villain. They're deservedly so. Unfortunately, he passed away since before all this was. Couldn't contact. defend himself. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he was allowed to just walk around like that, saying he was going to blow up the team no matter what, and the owner, Jerry Reinstorf, was fine with it. Like, everyone has said, I, I know you've been, I watched some of the Van Pelt things too, and how Wilbon was like, can you, you know, if they did that nowadays, like, you'd be run out of town. If Danny Ainge did that after the Celtics won, like, five championships, even though he's Danny Ainge. Could you imagine, right like, that'd be like if the Red Sox traded away their best position players since Ted Williams. Could you imagine <laughs> if that happened? <laughs> that'd be insane. Oh, couldn't couldn't even fathom it, I guess, huh? Mookie, shout out Mookie Betts. Um, well, no, Jerry Krause, though, and did you also watch the interview Scott Van Pelt did with uh, Jason here, the uh, director of the doc? I, I missed that one. It was like 30 minutes after 
the Will Bond stuff with, and Jackie McMullen stuff. So it was like late in the SVP episode. But he said that his only, he didn't say regret. It wasn't a regret, but it was his only qualm with how people were taking the documentary is that they thought he chose to make Jerry Krause a villain. And he said it's not fair, A, because Jerry's not here to, to talk through it, and because of all the things that he did to make those teams what they were, right? Like, you can't argue that he didn't play a really important role in building those Bulls teams, because he did. He made, you know, ballsy trades um, to get rid of Charles Oakley, who was Jordan's boy, to get in Cartwright yeah. early on, to get in Tony Kukoc, to, to get, get Rodman. To get Rodman, yeah, to take a swing on Rodman. Rodman. He, he discovered Scottie Pippen, too. Yeah, and, like, so he, he did a lot of really good things, but obviously his ego was probably just as big. But my guess, if Krauss was here today to be in this documentary, he is defending about 95% of what he did. And oh, You know, he'd be even a bigger bad guy, I think, if he's here to defend it. I yeah. think he gets that like little veil of respect. But even to this point, um, at the very end of the last episode, when they're speaking to Scottie Pippen, you know, he's like, we had the greatest coach of all time. We had the greatest player of all time. And he even said, and if you watch the whole documentary, you know, he probably gave Jerry Krause more shit than anybody else. 100. He did call him the greatest GM of all time. A hundred percent. I was, Frank, that's a great point because the guy who, like Scotty wanted, he demanded multiple trades from the Bulls. Yeah. And he was still saying he was the best GM out there. I think I think the- Jerry, Jerry would have been sitting right next to Isaiah Thomas, uh, defending everything <laughs> yeah. he did. Just yeah. right on that couch, they would have been arm in arm. <laughs> it been, yeah, it would have been uh, Isaiah have Thomas, have Jerry Krause, Clyde Drexler. <laughs> That's funny. I thought I thought what the, the Krause stuff in the doc was fair. I thought there were plenty of instances where people were saying like he was a good guy. You know, he saw what. Tex Winter had to offer. He saw like Phil Jackson was going to be the guy to put him over the top. And, you know, Reinsdorf was saying, you know, none of this happens without Jerry Krause. And even I think Michael in one of the middle, middle doc episodes, like he said something like, yeah, you know, you know, Jerry, you know, he, he put the team together, but he doesn't, he didn't understand that it was the team that won. Like he always said, organization, organization, but like he never, at the same way people say Kraus didn't get his credit, like Kraus wasn't given the credit back to the team. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. That's how Jordan felt. Damn, that was so good. I'm almost sad that it's over. I'm definitely yeah. sad that it's over. If you over. ever miss Jerry Kraus, just watch uh, Space Jam. Yes. He's the, uh, he's the bad guy from uh, from the Monstars. The, the, green, the round green guy. Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito's voice, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, we have a, another Space Jam coming out in 2021, June, t- June. I think June 2021. Oh, we're gonna have to watch it. We'll see how it goes. Maybe not my Space Jam. <laughs> not, yeah. my space yeah, jam. not my Space Jam. <laughs> That's fantastic. Dude, one of the worst takes in the world to have from all these sports. Just a quick side about Space Jam. People like Zach Lowe or um, uh, who's that dude from the? He's on the Athletic. He's Count the Dings. The guy who was in Minnesota. Zach, Zach Harper. Zach Harper. Yeah, him, our him close too. personal friend Zach Harper. Yeah, cl- no, uh, my close actually, personal friend Amin Al Hassan. Zach Harper actually didn't really chill, so we can't say he's our close personal friend. Yeah, dude, he got mobbed. Friend he got pod. mobbed at that event. All the bros yeah. were all Pete, over Zach Harper. Yeah, Pete and I were at an event in Brooklyn one time, and they had like all these NBA guys there, and Zach Harper was one of them. Amin Al Hassan was there. Tom Hamashro, like Amin was 
was cool. Tom Haverstraw was definitely like we hung. We actually hung out for him, with him for a while. He was he was a cool dude. Probably but too anyway, long. Like, it was a late night. <laughs> no, nah, it was fine. And uh, Zach, but like Zach Lowe and Zach Harper, all these people are like, and Evan Edelman, you're one of your roommates from college. You'd be like, oh yeah, Space Jam, bad movie. It's like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? It's a kids movie that's nostalgic, and yeah, it's not a good movie by like Oscar standards. But if you take it for what it's worth, with Michael Jordan acting around green screens, who's not even an actor, real actors struggle to act around green screens. Like, of course, it's not going to be the smoothest film with the greatest writing, but it's a good quality uh, animated basketball movie. You know, come on. They're probably big Thunderstruck guys. <laughs> what a joke. Andrew doesn't even know what Thunderstruck is. Look at him. He's got a blank look on his no, idea. I mean, I've never, exactly. I've never seen it. I mean, it was like, like 50 times, though. Thunderstruck was like Kevin Durant's version of Like Mike, kind of. Also, Space Jam, nobody talks about it. The soundtrack was phenomenal. Oh, my God. Phenomenal. Also, LeBron never went to college, so that's already a plot hole in Space Jam, too. I'm not even going to see it. Uh, <laughs> not even gonna see it. Why is Bugs gonna have to go back to LeBron's house for? Go get my phone. We got an Instagram live. Let's. Yo, Bronny's doing a TikTok. We gotta get in it. Uh, but yeah. wait, I actually have some some notes on Space Jam too because I was talking about this with my roommate the other day. Um, you mentioned the soundtrack, so that's going to be really important for this movie. Is it going to be like a more Drake based type of soundtrack? I don't mean hundred percent specifically Drake. Drake, Lil Wayne. Travis Scott. Because you know, like, Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar did the Black Panther soundtrack, and that soundtrack is mind blowingly good. It's fantastic. But that was like a dark, darker movie. I can't really do that, Space Jam. Is this going right. to be like too poppy? Is Space Jam 2 soundtrack going to be too poppy? There's not like uh, jock jams anymore, really. Oh, it's, that's going to be a tough call. And then who's going to be the Bill Murray character? Because I know Kevin who. Hart. Actually, role. I know who no, it's going to yeah, be. Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart's the obvious one, but it's not going to be him. I actually looked this up the other day. I'll give you guys one, one or two more guesses. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It is an African-American. I will say that. Dave Chappelle. Uh, Dave Chappelle. That would be great, but no. Uh, I wish it was Martin Lawrence like 20 years ago. Ma oh, okay. Yeah, Martin Lawrence. I yes. think the, the current rumor. Wesley Snipes. No. Why am I camp jump? Apparently, like, <laughs> was really not good at basketball, by the way. But the rumor apparently is Don Cheadle. Oh, all right, cool. Yeah, I like, I like that. Cheadle. Who may not have the star power of Bill Murray, but definitely has the chops. Loved, he's a funny dude. Love Don Ocean's Cheadle. Eleven, he's hilarious. He's great. And he's an, he's an Avenger. Come on. It's a lies, underrated show on Showtime. There we go. Now we're plugging all sorts of stuff. Shout out to Shout Don Cheadle. All right. You didn't uh, know this was actually a Don Cheadle podcast, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I love that dude. He's hilarious. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's start to close up shop here. Um, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us and bringing your your takes on the, the Last Dance docs. Something we do in the Sports Blog New York podcast at the end of every episode. After we go too long, we go even longer with this segment. So I'll start off with you. This could be anything. You want it to be, it could be a plug for something you've been watching. It could be a general uh, take for the universe to hear. It could be about basketball. It could be about anything you want. Andrew Duffy, any last words for the Sports Blogging Air podcast? Uh, no. Uh, the coolest thing about the pandemic is I, I finished uh, the book of basketball and uh, it's kind of renewed my interest in actually watching NBA again. So maybe I'm going to hop on the league pass with one of you guys one of these Ooh. days and start watching some games. 
I love that. I love Finally. that. You better. You could. You could pay my share. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> my last. My last you, word. You ever, wait, hold on. Did you ever pay up for that bet, or did you welch? No, we did. We paid up for that, right? Didn't we, Pete? Okay. Yes, I think you guys did pay up. We'll for check it. the bank statements. They yeah, put, we did. Paid we up. Check, we'll check the Venmo. Yeah. Um, by the way, there's unlike my bank statement. I think it just like really shows that people are uh, are hurting from this quarantine. I just had like a random like 160 dollars out of Venmo, like come out of my Venmo account. So that was sick during this quarantine. Just like Free you know, money. like Venmo is just like fake money, just sitting Doesn't out there. Exist. Like everyone has like 50 dollars in their Venmo account. Like I got cashed in on hard this month. Um, my my last words are uh, happy birthday, Andrew Duffy. Andrew Duffy's birthday tomorrow, May nineteenth, when this podcast comes out. Hell so yeah. when the people are listening, it's Andrew's birthday. So happy birthday, happy Andrew! Birthday, Andrew! I didn't even know. Happy birthday! Thanks, guys. Yeah, it's a good birthday present right here. Thank you, Frank. Frank, anything? <laughs> Yo, Frank's I already mean, in a call. He's dropping in right now in war zone. <laughs> yeah, he, once I mean, he heard last words, he's like, all right, let's do it. I'm waiting on it, but yeah. <laughs> but, um, ASMR Frank, come on. A, yeah, ASMR Frank's here. Come back to future episodes. I'll put you to sleep. Um, <laughs> um, no, nah, final words. Um Video games are cool. They make quarantine easier. Facts. Boom. Great up. Facts. Um, I'll use part of my last words to go off Frank's. I uh, am officially in the sixth MLB season. That's the sixth MLB season, by the way, of my road to the show player, PD Pumpkins. Shout out PD Pumpkins. So that's two years in the minors. That is six years in the majors. I have uh, 340 career home runs. I just got my thousandth hit. Uh, I'm actually... I got two more series left in this season. I have 97 stolen bags in this season. I'm going for 100. Broke Barry Bonds' record for 73 home runs. Got 75 last season. Not getting back there this season. That's okay. Uh, But Petey Pumpkins has been a stud. I've taken like 5,000 at-bats. It's really pathetic and sad, actually. But what are you going to do? And then my other last words are... We're going to um, need you to piss in a cup, by the way, before the end of the show. <laughs> yeah. We're going to need you to up that difficulty, yeah, bro. Yeah, check the sliders, Dude, bro. Dude, check the receipts right now. We're on legend. Full-time legend right now. Full-time. <laughs> all, all I know is at the beginning, we, we talked about it. I told you just put it on All-Star. It'll be a nice launching pad. So Dude. I'm gonna need to I'm gonna need you to backlog proof on that. I'll, I'll be I'll be I'll keep it I'll keep it a full buck right now. I'll keep it on a million and four right now. We were playing on dynamic difficulty. It gets a little bit out of control, especially when your guy's not that good. Legend Plus is like outrageously hard. Um, So we went full-time Hall of Fame. Full-time Hall of Fame. We went off. We were batting 400. We broke the home run record. But this season, 60 home runs, 97 bags, batting 340. Legend. Full-time legend. But we're also a 99 overall. So you were only playing on Hall of Fame. So much like Barry Bonds, your record has an asterisk. Oh, but that... (laughs) Well, uh, I still beat I still beat Babe Ruth though. Now I have sixty five on Legend. So you know who's the real home run champ? Who's the whatever? Same shit. <laughs> Old Yankees. All right, my last words. And, uh, McGuire and Sosa, which didn't wait. Did McGuire? What did McGuire get? Sixty three. No, McGuire 68? had seventy. Sosa had sixty six. Oh, he did have seventy. Yeah, he had sixty six. What did Griffey have? Fifty six. Or 63, something like that? 50, no, because the record was 61 when Sosa and Maguire both Kirby's beat it. I think highest was 54. I can look this up. 
Yeah. So yeah, Maguire and Sosa both took out um what Roger Maris at sixty one. 66 for Sosa, 70 for Maguire, then Bonds went 73, and then Petey Pumpkins went 75. <laughs> Ken Griffey had back-to-back 56 in 97, 98. Shout out, yeah. to, shout out to the other GOAT, Ken Griffey Jr. Love People that. forgot about him that season. He was still he was still hitting bombs. Love that. That would be fun. Maybe we should do a recap on that, on that 30 for 30 when it comes out because that was my favorite player growing up was Mark Maguire. Oh God, Ken Griffey was mine. Yeah, Andrew can attest to that. Ken Griffey's like one of his swag, two or three players all time to hit like two hundred home runs in four seasons. Oh God, Ken Griffey Jr. Sweetest swing. Oh, Gold Glover, just everything. Beautiful, beautiful person, Ken Griffey. You imagine people were wearing their hats forwards before Ken Griffey came. (laughs) Nerd. You imagine. All right. Well, this has been super fun. Um, we do have live sports kind of trickling back. Some news recently about New York the being Bundesliga. willing to be opening it up. We have soccer. We have uh, UFC. We have baseball possibly with a June 1st. I do quotes, spring training, a.k.a. summer training with a July 1st regular season. Looking real possible. Basketball, we don't know very much, and we're not going to get our hopes too high. But nonetheless, we'll be here on the Sports Blog New York podcast talking through it all, talking about who knows what, having fun with you guys. So thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. For Andrew Duffy, for John Lucas Duffy, for Frank Villani, I'm Pete Kennedy. Thank you guys for listening. Yer! Frank, where was your yer at right there? <laughs> I was meeting. <laughs> Good shit. He's in the gulag right now. <laughs> Good shit. Andrew, we'll get you back on another one where it's a little bit more, uh, I guess, stru- structured. structured. This one's just a freewheeling whatever. Realistically, I should probably cut like 15 minutes out of somewhere or another. I might, I might actually do that today because we're at an hour and a half. People want the content, dude. Yeah, might as well. Honestly, what do we have to lose? I should just let it rip. We haven't put one out in a while either. I feel like that kind of factors sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, I did one. Kind of like, there's no time stamp on this, really. It's just like whenever people watch it. True. Yeah, uh, you it. should put out the whole thing, like even when your phone died. <laughs> then, like, the, the oh fuck. I really want the oh fuck in there. I know you have some structured ones, but also, too, you got to remember, like, Everyone's doing this right now. They're on Zoom calls. They're doing bullshit right. FaceTimes. Like, people are just shooting the shit after watching 10 episodes of Ozarks. So, like, right. this will actually play into the theme of the, the, quarantine. the time period. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's a good point. That's I, why I'm not saying you don't have the edit part of it, but I'm just saying you don't have to worry about, like, the time of it and the, and the actual flow of it, in my opinion. That's a good point. And also, I've, I've said this in the past, like, if we were selling advertisements, like, in mid-roll and at the end of the show – We'd probably I'd care more about it being an hour, but we're we're not yeah. selling ads. We're just trying to get people to enjoy. If they only listen to forty minutes, they only listen to forty minutes. Who gives a shit? Chopping it up. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just. If gonna, they don't listen to the end, they're not going to find out it's Andrew's birthday, and they won't wish him a happy birthday. That's a good point. True. Add people. Fun fact. They also Kevin Garnett's birthday is also tomorrow. Oh, oh my god, that is fun. Is that you, why? Is that one of the reasons why growing up? I, I, that was actually something I learned after. The fact. Wait, Andrew, let, let me ask I, you I, this. I'm actually a big KG guy too. I got to admit, anything is possible. That was like, that was like <laughs> my high saying. school. Let me ask you this, Andrew. Um, uncut gems. How you feel about that? 
I dragged him to go uh, see that after Christmas. I dragged Andrew to go see that after Christmas. I mean, you didn't drag me. I wanted to see it. Uh, it was a pretty good I movie. Can't bring it up, like, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't earth shattering, but it was it was a good movie. What do you think of KG's acting chops? It was kind of cool to have. Uh, some of it was definitely realistic. Right, like he's just like mfing people at certain points and yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> like being KG. I thought his acting uh, chops were pretty solid. Yeah, I was impressed by him to be honest. He like is who he is though. Like that's like who he is on the court is like who he is. Like none of it is an act. He's just a nut job. The video yeah, of does, have you haven't been watching basketball that much lately? But have you seen the TNT thing where he does like yes, Harry yeah, no. Area 21. Yo, Area 21 is, is very authentically Kevin Garnett. That's all I good. can say. It's pretty good. It's not great, but it's authentic. It's Definitely all, authentic. Wait, did you did you see the video of him on the main desk with Shaq, Ernie? Uh, or actually, they might have been standing up in front of the screen, but it doesn't matter. Shaq, Ernie, KG, and Chuck with the hood. Oh, and they're asking him how he keeps it on the middle of his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know how yeah, KG yeah, yeah, yeah. Has, has, he keeps his hood on, like, right here, and it doesn't move somehow? Well, they went into the science behind it all, and KG was like, see, I look at Kenny, I look at Chuck, like, they got the shaved head, like, they know what it's about. When you get a fresh shave on your head, like, you get a little stubble, that stubble acts as grip. My, my hoodie doesn't move. I got the grip just holding it right there. I put it up there, it doesn't move. They put Ernie's hood, uh, sweatshirt up. Uh, it was actually hilarious. <laughs> I gotta find uh, that. Uh, yeah, I need to see that. That was funny shit. But yeah, I, I surprisingly, I had a couple friends. Okay, Can't hear you. Sorry, I had a group of friends who um, all collectively thought Uncut Gems was like terrible. Really? Yeah, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get behind that. Like, I didn't love it. Like, I had a couple friends who loved it and thought it was like spectacular. And I was like, I didn't think it was spectacular. I thought the last like 20, 30 minutes were really, really good. But it was a really, it was a good movie. But I had a bunch of people tell me like they thought it was terrible. I think people got like, like about like, I don't know, people's opinions are so strong about that movie because like it was touted for what it is. I got to walk my dog, otherwise she's going to freak out. So I'll be right back. I got nothing to do. But, you know, like it was kind of polarizing just because it was in. Adam Sandler 